Hey, it's you, man, from KC95 here. Good evening, and welcome to Toasted Tavern. Your host, Scott Tobin, and the man called Wags are ready to bring you the night in sports. So pull up a stool, grab a drink, and let's get toasted. Good evening, and welcome into the Toasted Tavern. I am Wags, joined alongside by Scott Tobin. Man, a great day today. We had uh, Tom Ackerman from Camo X on earlier today. We're going to have part of that conversation coming up a little bit later in the show. And, you know, Scott, we were talking earlier today about the, the Major League Baseball trade deadline and how we are excited that maybe we talk about a pitcher coming to St. Louis here by the time we hit the nightly show. Maybe something happened. Who knows? But then all of a sudden, Mizzou comes out of nowhere with some big news. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But I know you had a, a nice night tonight. Family was in town, and, and you got to, to, a chance to have dinner with them. But uh, how was the rest of your day between uh, the Ackerman interview and now tonight? It was good. It was good. Like you said, we'll get into that story in a little bit. But, yeah, but Zoo kind of threw us for a curve not too long after we ended the Ackerman interview, honestly, that uh, with some big breaking news. And there are some baseball rumors floating around again tonight that we'll have to get into a little bit later. So, Lots of news. Glad we decided to do a second show today. I mean, some people might be tired of seeing our ugly mugs, but uh, you know, when there when there's this much sports news going on, we got to talk about it. And there's some semi breaking news, I guess, in the NFL. I mean, we talked about it a little bit earlier today, but uh, yeah, there's a guy in, up north coming back that I'm not all that excited about. <laughs> yes, we will get into that uh, drama uh, as it may be uh, in a little bit as well. But we do have to start with Mizzou. Because the big news today, I mean, we, we had talked about the fact that the SEC might be expanding with Oklahoma and Texas. And out of the blue today, it comes out that Missouri Athletics Director Jim Sturt is going to step down. And usually when that happens, that uh, the red flag goes up and you're like, oh, crap, something negative has happened. There's going to be a smoking gun somewhere. Something bad has happened. But we, we got a chance to talk to him last year. And it didn't seem like there was anything negative in, in, the, in the stratosphere of that. It felt like he was getting along well with the, uh, the coaching staffs of everything. He brought in Eli Drinkwitz. He brought in Conzo Martin. So it felt like everything was going all hunky-dory. And then all of a sudden, this news drops. So, I mean, when you first heard the news, what was your reaction? And, and where do we stand now on potentially why Sturk is leaving the zoo? You know, my initial reaction was kind of like, yours, oh, man, what's going on now? Things have been going too good at Mizzou here lately. Something bad's about to hit us. Um, but, you know, the more you kind of hear little, little bits and pieces here and there, it kind of sounds like maybe there's not anything bad. Maybe it was just a decision for Jim Sterk to step down. You know, it sounds like he's going to – he's agreed to wait until a new AD has been found, you know, and put in place for him to move <laughs> on. So that's – that's a good part of it. You know, that makes you feel a little bit more comfortable that it's not something dire, you know, that the NCAA is coming down on Mizzou tomorrow or something. Um, you know, it, it was a little bit of a surprise because, like you said, it's been almost exactly a year that we had Jim Sterk on, I almost said this very program, but it wasn't. It was the old program. And, you know, he talked about how much he loved Mizzou and how he was hoping that that was going to be the last job of his career and he was really planning to be there to see the program build so that makes you then worry that you know maybe it is something more on the health side with him yeah it's very very possible that that's the case and obviously going through the pandemic and and seeing the the resurgent of, of covid it makes you worried there as well the other piece that that kind of made me step back was what we talked about earlier, the fact that the SEC is getting ready to undergo some major changes with Oklahoma and Texas petitioning to get into the SEC. Now, official the official petition hasn't been 
brought to the SEC yet, but it feels like it's it's only a matter of time for that to happen today. Uh, the Sooners in Texas announced that they will not renew their grants of media rights after the 2025 expiration date. Doesn't necessarily mean it's going to take that long for them to get to the SEC. There is a, a massive penalty that they could pay and very well likely will pay uh, if everything works out the way they want it to. And it, it got me thinking that, you know, if Sterk was going to leave after his next two years were up, he had two, year, two years left on his contract, it made me think that maybe he decided, hey, I don't want to be the guy that goes into this fight of either bringing these guys into the SEC or being one of those teams that pushes back against it to try and keep Mizzou's hold on their stake in the SEC, and that he wants it to be the next generation, the next AD's fight and, and where it takes Mizzou. Do you, do you feel like maybe that had a piece go into it as well that, hey, if, if this is going to be a, a fight that's going to take three, four, five years, I don't want to be the one that starts it if I can't finish it. And it doesn't feel right for me to start it if the next AD does not want whatever my decision was going to be to be his decision or her decision, because there's uh, a couple of females in the mix for the AD position as well. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a possibility. You know, you would almost think that for an AD that's been as competitive and so involved at Mizzou that he would almost want to take that challenge on and want to stay on to see it all be completed. So, you know, there, there's probably a lot of things that have led to this, and hopefully in the next few days we'll hear exactly what happened and, you know, if this was something that came out of the blue or if this has been something that's been planned for a while now. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if it was something that was playing out for a while. Now, there have been a lot of names thrown out uh, as far as who could possibly replace Jim Sterk, and, and he is going to stick around until a new AD is hired. So like you said, it doesn't sound like it's dire or imminent that he has to leave. Uh, so there's some names that were thrown out, lots of Mizzou connections. Uh, there, there's North Texas' AD, Ren Baker, who was the interim AD after Mac Rhodes left. Uh, Buffalo's Mark Allnut, uh, a former Mizzou football player. Louisiana's Brian Maggard, who had worked at Mizzou for 21 years in different roles before going to Louisiana. Uh, Colgate's Nikki Moore. She was a finalist for the 80 position back in 2016 when Jim Sterk was hired. Uh, you've got Missouri's Ryan Alpert, who was brought in just recently and was looked upon as the second in command and the next guy up uh, once Jim Sterk was done. But he is still on the younger side, so maybe it might be a bit too soon for him to take over that role. And then the two names that, for me, really stick out as being possibly it, it's one was John Sunville. That's the guy that you brought up uh, before we went on uh, Mizzou grad played under North Stewart, big eight broadcaster working with the SEC network. Now uh, definitely probably the biggest name that could potentially fill that role. And then for me, I, I look at app States, Doug Gillen uh, connections to Mizzou. Obviously uh, he hired coach drink up in Appalachian state. And he's also good friends with SEC commissioner, Greg Sankey. And, if anything in my life has taught me anything, it's connections, connections, connections. If you've got connections at, at the places like the SEC commissioner, that's somebody you probably want in that role. So if, if I'm a zoo, at the very least, my first phone call is to, to Doug Gillen. And then after that, it's probably John Sunville. But I, I don't know what you think. Who do you see as, as somebody that they would pursue uh, at this point in time? You know, kind of like I told you before we came on, John Sunville, John Sunville will be a guy that I think they'll definitely talk to. You know, he bleeds black and gold. He's been connected to this program for 30-plus years now. He's tied to the SEC. You know, he's nationally known because he does a lot of ESPN broadcasting as well. Um, you know, he would definitely be a guy that if you're wanting to really reconnect with that fan base and really get passionate Mizzou fans that have kind of drifted away from the program the last few years and really bring them back, that might be the guy that you go to and say, okay, here's our guy. Here's 
Mizzou guy through and through, like I said, bleeds black and gold. So the Sunfold for me would probably be my first phone call. Okay, uh, that makes sense. I mean, there's, I mean, like I said, everybody for the most part has connections to Mizzou, so they they have a lot of opportunities and a lot of options as well. And you, you also look at things. You know, we like I said, we talked to Stark last year. It felt like the the, the relationships between him and, and the coaches of you know the basketball team, the, the the football team, the softball team, everything was all hunky dory. But is there also potentially the potential that the relationships aren't as good as we thought they were and that you need to get somebody that Mizzou's wanting to get somebody in there that will appease a, a coach like Drinkwitz or, or maybe a coach like Martin that just Jim Sterk wasn't able to fulfill. Is that something that also could play into why this is happening and who they may look at? You know, I mean, that's possible. We know that coach drink wasn't Jim Sterk's first choice to be the head coach. He kind of, he kind of fell into that hire. Um, Conzo Moore, you know, Conzo was definitely his first choice for the basketball program. So, you know, I mean, there could be there could be some things there. You just never know, you know, and relationships get strained and stuff between ADs and coaches and, you know, different parts of the university. We see that happen all the time. So, you know, we may never know exactly, you know, that kind of inner workings thing if there were strains in relationships and stuff. But that's also possible. It's very, very true. And and Jim Sturck's done a lot for Mizzou. I mean, he's overseen uh, the, the the massive expansion of the Mizzou athletic program, especially on the football side of things. You know, the south end zone expansion just that was just completed. The fact that they're going to have this huge multi-million dollar training facility now for the football team. So there's a lot of very good, positive things that have come out of Jim Sturck's tenure as the AD of Mizzou. Now, there also were couple of things on the athletic side that maybe weren't all that great. But for the most part, over the last couple of years, there haven't been as many controversies as far as Mizzou athletics is concerned. And I think you have to look at Sterk's leadership as why the, those controversies were not there. Is that is that a fair argument? Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, he was definitely there for some of the dark days in Mizzou sports early in his early in his role as AD, but he's helped guide the program and build the program, build the fan base back up, build the program back up, done a lot for the football and basketball programs, like you said, as far as facilities. And even the volleyball team, their facilities have really improved during his time. So I think his leadership, the stuff that he's done to help the program, is going to be looked at favorably as you think back on the Jim Sterk era at Mizzou. Most definitely. And make sure you stick here uh, on Toast Tavern for all the news when it comes to the Jim Sterk uh, issue and anything Mizzou related. We're going to be following, you know, Dave Matter is, is another great source when it comes to Mizzou football and, and Mizzou sports in general. So keep a, a close eye on our socials as we find out more about Jim Sterk's leaving and who may very well possibly replace him here in the near future. All right. Uh, we, we teased it a little bit earlier. We did have Tom Ackerman on our show earlier today, talked a lot about uh, Major League Baseball, the Cardinals, the trade deadline, all of those kinds of things. And I want to play a quick clip that we had from him today because I, I was we had a lot of great insight from Ackerman, as we always do. But one thing really kind of stuck out to me when we started to talk a little bit about the untouchables on the Cardinals, the minor league and the major league level, because there are a lot of potential deals out there and some big names are going to be moved. And we asked him, you know, who won the minor leagues and who at the major leagues would he consider completely untouchable? And about halfway through, you're going to you're going to hear something that makes you go, hmm, that's interesting. So uh, here's Tom Ackerman from Camel X on who's untouchable for the Cardinals at the trade deadline. Um, Nolan Gorman, Matthew Libertor, 
uh, Yvonne Herrera, Jordan Walker. No, 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 and absolutely no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> at the major league level, I mean, obviously, Arenado and Goldschmidt, I would not deal, and nor nor would they, Yadi and Wayno, for sentimental reasons. An absolute 100,000% no on Jack Flaherty, uh, and a no on Dylan Carlson, and a no on Tyler O'Neill. So that covers everybody but your middle infield, your center fielder, and uh, that's pretty much it. So you would so, consider you, know, you would consider Bader a trade option? Oh yeah, well yeah. I mean, he's very. I mean, is his level any higher now than ever in his life? And maybe it'll get better, you know. But he's this guy's on fire right now. I mean, you talk about great trade value. I, I'm not saying I'm trading him, but I'm listening. I'm saying no on everybody else, uh, but I'm I'm listening and. You know, uh, what, whatever happens with um, Harrison Bader, you know, I would prefer that he stays in St. Louis as an elite outfielder. I mean, I, if I were to pick one, I guess if I had to, uh, I'd pick, uh, you know, uh, Paul DeYoung. Um, so, it, you know, DeYoung is a, um, is a good player. And I think uh, with the change of scenery, would have a great career ahead of him. Cardinals do have, uh, you know, a, a nice prospect, a shortstop waiting in the wings. Um, they do have a player, actually a couple of players at the big league level who can play that position. One of them being Sosa, who actually you could argue at times is the better option. Um, but I love Paulie, and I and I, I I hope that he plays well for the Cardinals. But you know, if you talk about options uh, on who to trade, he'd probably be at the, at the top of my list. I'm not saying they're going to do it. Um, there's some players, you know, on the bench that that perhaps you could trade or some some relievers perhaps you could trade. Um, but I, I wouldn't go beyond that. I mean, if you trade a KK, that's selling to me. I wouldn't trade. There's not a chance I'm trading number 50. And, uh, you know, so – and there aren't, aren't a ton of options, but yeah, I mean Bader's uh, Bader's value is through the roof. But you better have a backup option there because the guy's a really great center fielder, good hitter. Eventually, I still believe he's going to be a good big league leadoff man for this team and maybe for this team. Uh, but for right now, that's about where I am. Bader is not an untouchable. I mean, if I'm talking about untouchables, you know, like there's not a chance I'm trading Carlson or O'Neill at this point. And I was shocked, I was shocked when he said that Bader, yes, maybe not someone you're actively looking to move, but the fact that he's not what he would consider untouchable, that kind of perked me up a little bit because I was like, he, yeah, he, he doesn't, he, his trade value is probably at the highest it's ever been, but with the defense that he brings, and if he is able to hit consistently, uh, I would have thought you would you would want to keep him around, but just the fact that he would even consider listening to offers on Harrison Bader that that threw me for a loop. Yeah, I mean, I think you listen because he's right. You know, his trade value is not going to be much higher than it is right now with the way he's hitting. But you know, he kind of backtracked on that as you listen to the thing. He's like, "Yeah, if I had to pick one, it's Bader." But do I want to trade him? No, you know. And then he's then the biggest key that you take from that is he said. If you're going to make that trade, you better make sure you have somebody to take that role. Cardinals don't have anybody to play center field and play the caliber defense. I mean, we saw what happened when Dylan Carlson tried to play center field. He's not a center fielder. And if you don't think that your defense and your offense connect 
you know, if you don't carry one into the other. Look what's happened to Dylan Carlson at the plate since Harrison Bader's come back and he's moved over to right field. I mean, the guy's been on fire. He had, what, eight RBIs in the Cubs series? You know, he had the most RBIs of a rookie in the series since Albert in 2001. You know, he had a good series against Cincinnati. He hit some balls hard. Well, he had a couple of hits to show for it, but he got robbed a couple of times. I mean, you know, everything just clicks when Bader is in center field because everybody else can – it kind of takes that pressure off. And, you know, I don't think you want to mess with that outfield right now because those three – I mean, you look at this team and everybody wants to complain about it. But think about this for a second. When the All-Star – when it comes time to pick gold glove finalists and you look around at this team, you could very well have six gold glove finalists on this team. I think Arnado and Goldie win. I think Goldie finally wins that gold glove at first base for the Cardinals that he should have won last year. You know, Arnado's a no-brainer at third base. And then I think all three of your – the only thing that's going to hurt them potentially is the fact that O'Neill and Bader both were on the disabled list twice in the first half. But I think there's a very real possibility that all three of those kids are finalists for gold glove positions in the outfield. And I think Yachty will be a finalist as well. Yeah, I, I think you're you're right on the head there. And and the fact this this is the thing that really kind of interests interest me is, you know, last year we were talking about the strength up the middle. You had Yachty, gold glove winner, always a finalist, it seems like. You had Colton Wong at second baseman, obviously won the gold glove last year. Paul DeYoung was at shortstop, a gold glove potential shortstop, and then you had Bader in center field. Now all of a sudden a year later, that script has completely flipped that we're worried about are up the middle strength. Yes, Yachty's there, but he's dealing with injury. He hasn't been the same Yachty that we've seen the last couple of years outside of, you know, a a couple of really, really good games. You've got Tommy Edmond over at second for the most part. You've got Paul DeYoung who's been injured, platooning with Edmundo Sosa. And you've got Bader who was injured, but has come back and and not taken a step back as far as defense is concerned. Um, He did bring up Paul DeYoung as being a guy that, you probably would want to look at trading. Um, is that the play that the Cardinals go with at, at the trade deadline? It is Can you build a package around a Paul DeYoung that maybe could bring back somebody to play shortstop if you don't want to trust Sosa with that? Or does that allow you to go out there and get a better pitcher than what you could get with some of the lower prospects that this team has? You know, that's, that's a good question. You know, we, could you go get a shortstop? You know, you say that and the guy that everybody's going to jump on, of course, is Trevor Story. But if you go get one of those guys, say you say, okay, let's let's move him and go get Trevor Story, or let's move him and this will never happen because the Cubs wouldn't do it. But let's say you move Paul DeYoung to Chicago and get Javi Baez, or you know, Seager's hurt, so that's not going to happen. Correa's hurt in Houston, so that wouldn't happen. Um, but if you do that. You've taken that cost certainty that you have with Paul DeYoung, who, when he's right, is still really good. And we've seen him play a lot better, you know, since he's come back from injury. It took him a couple of weeks, but he's been much better the last two or three weeks. But if you move him, you're taking away the cost certainty of a guy, like you said, that's been an all star, that's been a Gold Glove finalist, and you're trading him for a guy that, I mean, we could go get Trevor Story. And yeah, it could be a fun month and we talk about, oh man, him and Nolan and how awesome was that going to be. But do you really want to pay Trevor Story 180 or $200 million? Because look at Trevor Story's numbers. He's not having a good year. He's hitting like 240. He has the same amount of home runs as Paul DeYoung has, and Paul DeYoung missed six weeks. 
You know, he he's not. It's not like Trevor Story's left the world on fire this year. Um, you know, and you can say the same thing about a lot of those guys. Baez has not been. You know, everybody talks about how big the shortstop market's going to be. Baez has not had a good year. Corey Seager's missed pretty much the whole season and has had a setback. So that's going to put a question there. Carlos Correa has been hurt a couple of times. Are the Astros going to do that? You know, so, you know, that big shortstop market may not boom the way people thought it was going to when we get into the offseason. And, and I, that's a roundabout way of answering your question. But, <laughs> you know, I think if you were going to trade him for a shortstop, I think it's probably Trevor Story would probably be the guy that everybody would think you were talking about. And I think if you're going to do that, you've got to try to get a pitcher there. And, you know, John Gray would be the guy that you would look at from Colorado that you would want, although he's had injury issues this year as well. So you're not sure you would get a hundred percent healthy guy there. So I don't know. And then, you know, other teams. Yeah. You know, maybe, you know, maybe you could build a trade with the twins for a Barrios, you know, they may move on from Andleton Simmons. There's talk that they may trade him or, you know, Paul DeYoung's a third baseman. Maybe Josh Donaldson gets moves and you move him over there. Would the Rangers be interested in something like that for Kyle Gibson? Possibly. Although there's been a lot of talk that people think they're going to spend a lot of money and be one of those teams in on a shortstop next year. Although if you get DeYoung, then you don't have to do that. You allocate that money somewhere else. So it's possible. I just hate to see it happen because I am, you know, I've made no bones about the fact that I'm a pretty big Paul DeYoung fan. And, and Tom did too. You know, you heard him say that, but maybe at some point he did throw the caveat of maybe a change of scenery is what Paul DeYoung needs. But I don't think I trade him again. I'm not sure that I trade him and not get some kind of shortstop back because I'm just not sure that in Mundo Sosa, I know everybody in St. Louis loves him, but I'm not sure that Sosa's the guy that's an everyday shortstop because we've seen him not really able to hit a lot other than those first couple of weeks. And he's made like nine errors, you know, in the short amount of time that he's played. So while he is flashy and he does show some energy, which you know, all you got to do to get Cardinal fans excited is be undersized and hustle a little bit, and they think you're the great next thing. You know, Bo, Bo Hart's the perfect example. Oh, my God, he's going to be an all-star. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure. You know, I'm just not sure that they have the depth at shortstop. You know, he alluded to Delvin Perez. But, again, Delvin Perez is a big question in the minor leagues, too, because up until this year, for being a first-round pick, he's kind of been a bust until right now. That's very, very true. And the one, the one other name that he brought up that, uh, as far as an untouchable was concerned, that I wouldn't say threw me for a loop as well, but I didn't realize he was that highly regarded was Jordan Walker. Uh, I mean, obviously he's, he's hitting pretty well, but the fact that he was like, absolutely no, that, that su- surprised me a little bit as well. I mean, wh- what actually are we going to see from Jordan Walker? Is, is he somebody that can make an impact on this team in the next couple of years? The way he's going right now, they just moved him up to Peoria already and i mean you know and we know that the cardinals sometimes like to like to throw names around when they're comparing people to, to prospects but just a couple of weeks ago john mozalek said he's never seen a hitter at 19 years old where jordan walker is right now he compared him to albert pujols and oscar Tavares. those are the two guys the only two guys he could think of that have looked like jordan walker does at this point in his career and i mean we were all excited about norlin gorman's power from everything we hear Jordan Walker has even more, you know, you know, he was winning, he was winning college worlds, college home run derbies as a sophomore in high school. I mean, this kid has just freaky power and he, he has good contact too. And he's only 19. So this guy's kind of the limit there. 
That's very true. And Mason Wynn was another guy that was brought up uh, as well, along with Jordan Walker. So, I mean, it feels like, you know, we, we talk so much about the Cardinals depth and then, then we talk about how, how the guys that are young up uh, that are up here are, aren't as good as we thought they were going to be. You know, we had Lane Thomas, you know, Johan Oviedo is, is kind of gotten better as this season's gone on. Maybe shouldn't be here to really be seasoning himself at Memphis, but you know, circumstances dictate that he's up here. Um, uh, the question really becomes, you know, how quickly do you move these guys up and how long do you leave them at these levels before they hit the big leagues? Because we're, we're clamoring for Nolan Gorman to be here. We think he's doing well enough in Memphis to really say, hey, you can do this at the major league level. And then you got Walker down at Peoria now. How quickly do you move him up through the system? If he does have that kind of pedigree and that upside, how quickly do you move him up here? And, and at what point do you like try not to burn him out or, or discourage him. I mean, it almost feels like we we're arguing two sides of the same coin because we want these guys to get up here, but then when they get up here and they struggle, we're like, well, they're not as good as we thought they were. So like, where do we land on these, on these rookies? Well, you got, you know, and we talked about this on another one of our shows the other night, you know, everybody's like, Oh man, we have nothing in the minor leagues. Not true. You know, a lot of these guys, the Gormans, the Libertors, the Zach Thompsons that you know we were hoping they would be ready this year. You got to remember there was no minor league season last year, so these guys are these guys are a year behind where we'd hoped they would be. But at the same time, like Tom said, you know he said that in that clip, or maybe not that clip, and in one of the clips we did today, <laughs> um, you know the Gorman and Libertor are very close and they're knocking on the door. The thing we got to remember about Nolan Gorman is that he's only been in Memphis for about three weeks, and yeah, he's tearing the cover off the ball and. Isn't it funny how Memphis struggled all year? He gets there, and now all of a sudden they've won 15 in a row. Um, and he's just absolutely raking down there. Um, the Cardinals have a lot of talent. You know, I keep seeing this from people, Cardinal fans, that are like, we have nothing in the farm system. The farm system's horrible. We have nobody to trade. There's nobody. To tra- that's that's not, the, that's not the case. You know, people have to understand that you have you've got a ton of talent you know, and you know the two guys that you just talked about, Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn, the two kids from last year. Wynn got moved up to Peoria late this afternoon as well. And here's a kid. I'm not gonna. We're not gonna start comparing people to people, but you know how Shoei and Tani likes to play the outfield and pitch. Mason Wynn plays uh, shortstop, and oh by the way, he pitches and throws 98 miles an hour. So um, yeah, there, there's another guy. The bias kid that we drafted this year that, I mean, everybody is saying, you know, this kid, again, is just a five-tool. You know, it's not going to be long. You know, a year, a year and a half from now, we're going to be talking about him knocking down the door, getting close. You know, we've got a couple of younger outfield prospects that are coming that are hitting like crazy in Springfield right now. This team has got a lot of talent coming. It's just it's not ready right this second. You know, two or three years from now, the Cardinals farm system is going to be one of the top farm systems in baseball. You know, the top 50 came out, prospects in baseball came out the other day. We have four players in the top 50 right now, and that's not counting. And that's not counting these guys that we just drafted. So the farm system's not bare. There's just a little break because of unforeseen circumstances with COVID that kind of screwed up everybody's growth. And they're not quite progressing as quickly as we'd hoped. But they're coming, and they're they're coming really well. And another guy, Zach Thompson, who you know we worried about all year because he hasn't pitched well, he had a six hit complete game shutout in Memphis for his first win at AAA the other night. So he's making progress. Matthew Libertor had a shutout the other night and has pitched really well now in his last two starts. So 
you know, these guys are coming. You know, will we see them at the end of the season? Maybe. You know, if we don't see them until spring training, that's a positive sign too because it means that Jack Flaherty and Miles Michaelis and hopefully a couple of guys we pick up in the next few days have put straightened this pitching staff out. Yeah, and you also have to look at this as, hey, over the last, oh, what, five or six years, the, the same gripe has been there about the, the farm system being bare. And then, then the Cardinals trade these prospects – and they go off for a half a season and people are like, well, why the hell did you trade them? You know, Randy at Rosarena and th- and guys like that where it's like, yeah, they, they weren't producing for the Cardinals at that point in time because they were still developing. And yes, they traded them away to gain pieces for the here and now. And yes, they went over and were successful and probably could have been successful here as well. But that's the whole thing. You were just complaining about the fact that the system was bare. And then you trade some guys from that barren system and then they, they they succeed, and then you're pissed off that, that they traded them. So you have to be you have to be real careful with with what you're what you're looking at because every every player has a progression, and every player's progression is different. And right now we're seeing that with Johan Oviedo because he came up, he probably jumped more than he should have, and he struggled. But over the last couple of starts his confidence has grown and grown and grown. And he should have gotten that win against the Cubs last week. The bullpen blew it mainly because Luis Garcia came into the game. And I don't even know why that was a potential possibility, but he has grown in confidence. And you're going to see that for some of these other guys that the big thing that I thought was a big surprise with Ackerman today was the fact that he thought Libertor was actually closer to being on the big club than Nolan Gorman. And yes, that's barring a trade for a pitcher, but the fact that Libertor might be closer to getting the call up than Gorman, that also surprised me as well. I think I think that's more about need as well, too. You know, I think I think it's because of the fact that you may need to bring Libertor up to fill a spot in that rotation where Gorman, because you do still have Tommy Edmond and you have Sosa and you have all these guys, you know, there's not quite as big of a need for Nolan Gorman to get rushed up here. And hopefully neither one, like we said, hopefully things work out and you don't have to rush either one of them. But uh I think the Cardinals are in a pretty good spot. And, you know, real quick before we move on, you talked about the, you know, trading guys for, you know, a barren system and then people complain. You know, I see that all the time. Oh, man, how could we have given up Randy Rosarena? How could we give up Luke Voigt? How do we give up? The- well, think about this for a second. If you don't give up Randy Rosarena, you don't, we're not talking about Matthew Libertor right now. Yeah. If you don't give up Luke Voigt, Gallegos is not here. If you don't trade Tommy Pham, Cabrera is not in your bullpen. You know, if you don't make a couple of those, if you don't move a couple of those guys, Paul Goldschmidt's not here. You know, if you don't move a couple of those guys, Nolan Arenado's not here. You know, I've heard, I've heard people going, man, I wish we had Austin Gomber. How stupid. What? Okay. Would you rather have Austin Gomber or Nolan Gorman? I mean, Nolan Arenado, you know, or would you rather have, would you rather have, you know, a catching prospect or would you rather have Paul Goldschmidt? You know, it's fans, fans don't look at it both ways and you got to look at it this way too. Nobody except in St. Louis is even talking about Randy or Rosarena or Luke Voigt or any of those, because they're not having good years. Voigt's been hurt all year. Or Rosarena is just a guy this year. You know, it, they're not, they're not tearing the cover off the ball right now. So, you know, let these trades play out. And, you know, in a couple of years, like we've been saying forever, we'll see where we're at. Sorry, that was, that was my soapbox. No, no, I, I'm right there with you. I mean, the soapbox is big enough for two of us because I, I'm in the same boat. I mean, sometimes you do have to trade, and, and the trade doesn't work out totally in your favor, but 
you have to wait and let it play out and let it percolate before you can actually sit there and say it was a good trade or a bad trade. But you're, you're right. I mean, you wouldn't have guys, you wouldn't have Gallegos in the bullpen. You wouldn't have Nolan Arenado. You wouldn't have Paul Goldschmidt. And you, you talk about the one side where guys do go off and, and you go, ah, maybe, 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 you know, uh, Sandy Alcantara down in, in Miami is one of those, which, yeah, you got uh, Marcelo Zuna out of it, but uh, maybe you would want to have him back here. And it's not like what you got with, with Ozuna led to something else. It, I can see some, but that's that's how trades work. Sometimes it works in your favor and sometimes it doesn't because now look over at the Paul Goldschmidt trade. Would you rather have any of the guys that are in Arizona right now or would you rather have Paul Goldschmidt who had a 16-game hitting streak and like you alluded to earlier, will probably win the Gold Club at first base. So at the time, yeah, Carson Kelly – Luke Weaver maybe could have progressed to be better players, but right now we've got a stud at first base, and that stud at first base is another reason that Nolan Arenado came to St. Louis as well. So everything kind of connects, and you have to you have to be willing to give some stuff up sometimes for yourself to grow. Um, I do think, as Tom alluded to earlier, that you know some the guys like Gorman and Libertor and, and Ivan Herrera are guys you cannot give up. They're non-starters, and it doesn't matter if Max Scherzer's calling and saying, I will only come to St. Louis, but they want Libertor in return. Sorry, Max, we'd love to have you, but this guy's our future. He's a lefty pitcher. And I'm not saying that – I've said this many a times. I don't think you absolutely need a left-handed pitcher in the rotation, but having one is a nice piece to have. And the fact that he's got the stuff that he has – I would much rather take the role in the gamble on Libertor than bringing in a Max Scherzer. Well, and like you said, you don't necessarily need to have a left-handed pitcher, but there's a difference between having a left-handed pitcher and having an elite young left-handed pitcher. That's who. Which Libertor would have. And you brought his name up a few minutes ago. For all the people that have been like, oh, my God, Sandy Alcantara, Sandy Alcantara, how, can, how stupid. Guess who uh, in the last couple of hours, there's all kinds of rumors that the Miami Marlins are trying to trade. Huh. Can you say can you say Sandy Alcantara may not be a Marlin by the end of the week? Could you see the the Cardinals getting back on board and bringing him back in? That would be weird, wouldn't it? Hey, we'll we'll, we'll, give, we'll give you Marcelo Zuna for Sandy Alcantara. <laughs> Marcelo's just sitting at home. We'll pack him up. We'll send him right back down to you. Yeah, I'm, we'll facilitate the call between us and the Braves, and, right? uh, and and you just give us Sandy, and we'll be good. We'll call it even. How about that? Right. Oh, man. Well, there are, like you said earlier at the beginning of the show, there's a lot of trade rumors that are going around out there. What are some of the big ones that you're hearing right now? You know, a lot of them are the same stuff we talked about a little bit earlier. Um, you know, it sounds like there's more and more steam picking up for Barrios coming out of Minnesota. Um, again, we've heard the Dodgers and the Padres. There, there are mystery teams involved, apparently, three or four of them. The best so, time of the week is when you hear mystery team. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, Seattle is still in on Whit Merrifield, although apparently the White Sox and a couple other teams are now kind of jumping in on that. The Yankees apparently made an offer to the Rockies today for Trevor Story, but the Rockies are not sure if they're interested in moving him or if what the Yankees offered would be enough to do it, but the Yankees did make an offer. The Yankees made a really interesting trade with Pittsburgh today to get a relief pitcher, and Yankee fans are not happy because the Yankees traded their top shortstop prospect and a pitching prospect for a guy from Pittsburgh who's a ground ball pitcher whose earned run average on the year is almost seven. Um, on a ground ball pitcher? Yeah, he's pitched better lately. Middle relief guy. Uh, not really sure what Brian Cashman was doing here. 
I know the Yankees are kind of a mess, but uh, Yankee fans are about to lose their minds over that one. Um, you know, there's a lot of other things. Jose Ramirez, Cleveland may, you know, we're playing Cleveland in the next couple of days. Jose Ramirez may be on the move. Let's uh, let's let Cleveland go ahead and do that before we start playing them the next couple of days and get him out of there. Especially if he uh, walks down to our clubhouse. Yeah, again, though, where are you playing anymore? Yeah, yeah. And, and there's there's a lot of potential. Of, you have to give up a lot of big time names to to have that happen. Because I, I I don't I don't think Ramirez is coming in. And you're going, hey Nolan, go take a seat, buddy. Uh, you know, if we had a DH, yeah, I'd love that oh, idea. Yeah. But uh, you know, those are going to be interesting. Uh, there was rumor a while ago that Baltimore may now be thinking about making some moves, which. If you haven't seen the interview with Tom Ackerman, go back because there is a pitcher in Baltimore that he thought would be perfect for the Cardinals. Trey Mancini may also, they may at least be thinking about moving Mancini. I mean, there's a lot of guys that whose names we heard might be on the move that now it sounds like maybe there's a better chance they're going to be on the move. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see, like the Rangers, for interest, for interest, uh, for interest. For instance, I can get words out, I swear. Uh you know they've lost thirteen in a row now. Do that? Does that make them more interesting? More inter- I can't talk. Never mind. Would that make them more interested in trading a Jody, Joey Gallo or Kyle Gibson? And that's really interesting too. Is that with all these pitchers that we're hearing, you're not hearing anything about Kyle Gibson today, as far as teams going after him or who's in that market or what. So you know it's going to be fun the next couple of days. I think we're going to see. I think we're going to be surprised because I think there's going to be more big name guys get moved in the next couple of days than anybody saw coming. And we're not even talking about the Cubs yet. And we know that that whole freaking team is pretty much up for sale. So, you know, I mean, we can see some blockbusters happen in the next 72 to 96 hours. Yeah. It's one of the most active trade deadlines that we probably have seen in, in recent memory. And, you know, you talk about the Cubs. Uh, it does look like Kyle Hendricks will probably be sticking around, though. It came out today that uh, he is likely not to be shopped, but almost everybody else is. I mean, you've got Wilson Contreras, you've got Javi Baez, you've got Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, all those guys. Craig Kimbrell is another guy that could be moving as well. Uh, you know, there are some reports linking him back to San Diego. There's reports linking him to a couple other places as well. Uh, and, and he's definitely rebounded and, and pitched very, very well this year. So bringing in a guy like Kimbrell could be a huge move as well. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, and and we're going to have all the coverage here on Toasted Tavern as well. Uh, the, the one guy that you talked about a little bit earlier today was uh, the fact that the Padres are looking at maybe moving out Eric Hosmer. And it, it's interesting because two teams that popped up as likely destinations are, are teams you wouldn't think would be interested in bringing him in, but that's the Cubs and, and the Kansas city Royals as well, mainly because of cap space, you know, the, the, the ability to, to bring his contract into their, into their fold. Um, do you see Hosmer being a guy that's dealt to, is he part of a deal to the Cubs to bring in a guy like Kimbrell? Except that if you do that, if you, if the Cubs go get Hosmer, then does that mean Rizzo's gone? I would think it would have to be a connection of two where, you bring in Hosmer because Rizzo is going somewhere else. And if that's the case, where does Rizzo end up? You know, there, there's a lot of things linking him back to Boston, which is where, you know, he got drafted. You know, that's where Theo brought him in originally. Um, so that's a possibility. I saw the Yankees as a possibility for Anthony Rizzo as well. So, you know, it, it would be interesting because, like a lot of people say, you know, he's the face of the Cubs. That would be the one guy that you really don't 
wouldn't think would leave, but you know, it's very possible. As for Hosmer, you know, I don't think the Cubs would be a good fit because you know, if they're trying to cut salary, Hosmer is still making a lot of money. I'm not mm-hmm. sure that that makes a lot of sense. Kansas City wouldn't actually make a lot of sense for Eric Hosmer. It's where he started his career. He won a World Series there. He's got lots of ties. You know, they're they've got a young team coming. He could be a leader. Although, if you're then that doesn't make sense. Why would you bring Eric Hosmer in and let Whit Merrifield go? Because, you know, that's another guy that you can help build a young team around. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of rumors, you know, and like we say, you know, this time of the year with every sport, don't believe 99% out of, of what you hear out of GM's mouths because they're not going to tell you the truth. That's for damn sure. That is for damn sure. Now, speaking of truth, uh, let's jump over to the NFL because we may have gotten some truth and some resolution to a story that's been on the front burner pretty much since the end of the season, maybe even before the end of the season. And that's got to deal with Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers. Uh, for the longest time, it looked like Aaron Rodgers was going to up and retire, be done, move on, maybe break, be able to break the contract enough that he comes back and, and plays in a, in a year or two outside of Green Bay. But reports today come out that the Packers and Rodgers are getting close to a deal that will see him return to Green Bay this season. But there are a lot of concessions when it comes to the Green Bay Packers. So here are a couple of things that the Packers are going to be doing to kind of appease Aaron Rodgers into coming back this year. So uh, the 2023 year in Rodgers' contract, the last one in his current deal, would be voided with no tax allowed in the future. Uh, They would agree to review Rodgers' situation at the end of this season. Contract would be able to be adjusted with no loss of income to give the Packers more cap room now, and mechanisms will be put in place to address Rodgers' issues with the team. Basically, what all that means is it's setting up to where Aaron Rodgers would play one more year in Green Bay, and then in 2022, he would be free to go to any place that he would want to go with no repercussions for the Packers and no repercussions for Aaron Rodgers. Is this the scenario that we're going to see play out where he goes back and plays one year in Green Bay and then we see him exit stage left? Uh, we talk about train wrecks in sports all the time. Here's a huge one because <laughs> why would, you know, if you're going to make all those concessions and do that, why not just trade him? You don't really want him there. He doesn't really want to be there. He's upset the fans. I mean, I can't imagine that his teammates really necessarily want him back because, you know, he's basically, you know, said, I'm not doing OTAs. I don't want to be here. He's basically thrown them on the bus and said, they're not good enough. I want better players. Um, I can't imagine that locker room is going to be a great place. And, you know, we've heard for years that it already wasn't because Aaron Rodgers wasn't the most popular guy in the world in Green Bay. I can't imagine this is going to help things. So I, I think if I'm the Packers, I – make this work that you can move him now. Honestly, I think, I think that's the best case scenario for everybody because yeah, Rogers is going to get his money and he's going to play, but if he doesn't want to be there, do you really think he's going to try his hardest to help green Bay win this year? Probably not. I mean, obviously he's going to do what he can to make himself look good and attractive to the free agent market next year, but he's going to do more for himself more than it is for the team. And like you said, that, that just ruins the locker room status and, and just the the team aspect of, of this and you know it is already affecting the team in a whole as, as it is Devonte adams has cut off talks with the packers and he's looking to leave as well because he's seeing what aaron Rodgers is going through and he doesn't want to be in that same position and he probably doesn't want to play on a team that doesn't have a star quarterback either so it, it is it's already starting to impact this team post 
Aaron Rodgers as well. And I, I think you're right. I mean, how, how do you not sit there and start saying, hey, look, we, we've got to find a way to get him out of here and get him to a place where he's not going to hurt us except maybe the Super Bowl if we get there. And that's the big the big question is, you know, who would they be able to, to make a deal with and who would be looking for a quarterback that would be attractive to Aaron Rodgers, but also net enough for the Packers to justify trading him to that team? I mean, the first one that pops to mind is the team that we heard about all offseason, which is Denver. You know, they didn't really do anything after they didn't get Rodgers a couple of months ago. I mean, yeah, they've got, you know, they've got uh, – Drew Locke there, and they've got Teddy Bridgewater, but you know neither one of those guys necessarily super excite you at quarterback, and that's a pretty good team. So that would that would probably be my first landing spot. The other place that I think you would have to look at, because his star wide receivers already talked about the fact that he wouldn't mind going to play there, is maybe Vegas. Although part of the reason that Devontae Adams has wanted to go there is because of the fact that the Raiders quarterback and him were college teammates, and they already have that connection. So, I mean, you could connect the dots there, but there, there's kind of roadblocks in that move, too. Yeah, there are. There, it, It's it's going to be a lot of, of interesting go-betweens, and if, if a trade for Aaron Rodgers is going to happen, I, I'm just – I don't know. I just – I don't know what to make of this because even just earlier today I heard that Aaron Rodgers was likely to retire, and now on the flip side you've got this saying that the Packers are making these concessions. So – we really haven't heard much from Aaron Rodgers' camp. And that's the big thing is the Packers can say all they want about, yeah, we're going to make this concession and this concession and do this and, and allow them to leave after this year, blah, 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 blah. But nothing's coming out of the Rodgers camp. And, and that's intriguing to me as well, because he could come out and say, no, we haven't had any of these conversations whatsoever. And I don't know what the hell they're talking about and keep this thing going. Or he can come out and say, "Hey, yeah, we're working on uh, on a way to figure this out, and we'll we'll kind of see how this plays out." But I mean, we're not hearing anything from Aaron Rodgers, and that's that's the the, the piece of the res- piece to resistance that makes me just go, "Why are the Packers still trying to find a way to keep this guy around?" Well, you know, it's not a bad move from the Packers either, and it, it could be a smokescreen. And you just brought this up because. What's a better PR move for the Packers that if you know that Aaron Rodgers isn't going to do this and tomorrow he's going to announce his retirement, if you're the Packers and get out in front of it and go, man, we th- we did everything we could. We thought we had something almost done. It's not our fault. It's all Aaron. You know, we 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 had a deal. We were gonna we were gonna make concessions and and he won't do it. So it's smart if there if there isn't a deal done, it's smart on the Packers to get out in front of it as a PR move and try to make themselves look as good in this as they can, because both sides have looked so bad all off season that uh, it doesn't look bad. And, you know, when that news broke today, that maybe there was a deal coming, it was really shocking because everything we'd heard in the last couple of days was that Aaron Rodgers was going to retire. I mean, Vegas had pretty much taken any betting lines off the board for the Packers because, you know, the rumor was that they were all hearing that pa- that Rodgers was going to announce his retirement this week. So, you know, is there truth to it? Is it a smokescreen? Is it the Packers trying to make themselves look better? The way this is going, who knows? And, you know, you would have thought by now, with a couple of weeks before training camp, we would have this all figured out. And and Aaron Rodgers isn't the only quarterback drama we're going to have to watch in the next couple of weeks because guess what? If you thought it was over in Houston, guess who showed up at training camp the other day? Deshaun Watson. 
and he still wants out. <laughs> well, I mean, it, just today, uh, 10 police complaints filed against Deshaun Watson as well in that ongoing case against him that uh, likely won't be resolved until maybe next summer. So he's got that hanging over his head. And I, I mean, I get it. I mean, yeah, he wants out, but at least he's showing to his teammates that he's willing to be there for them. And whether or not that means he sticks around in Houston, it all it paints in a picture for whatever team he goes to that regardless of what is going on between me and management, I'm going to be here for you. And whatever team he does go to, they'll see that and go, look, yeah, he had his issues with management. He was trying to get the best for him. But I do know he'll be here for me. So I, I, I think it probably was probably the right play by Deshaun. But Houston needs to find a way to get rid of him. Yeah. Well, and, and let's be honest. He's there because if he wasn't, he gets fined $50,000 every day that he misses camp. Yeah, so that's a big... it, 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 it has a little bit to do with his wallet. But it sounds like there's a team that's really interested still in making a trade team in the NFC East, which if they make this trade and if Deshaun Watson's able to play, it changes the whole balance of the NFC again. Cause apparently the Philadelphia Eagles are hot on the heels of a trade for Deshaun Watson. Hmm. Huh? So Jalen hurts would be going the other way. Probably. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't sound like anybody's too hot on Jalen Hurts either, but, uh, you know, uh, yeah, Deshaun, you know, when we heard a couple of months ago that the Eagles were interested in Deshaun Watson, that would be that would definitely be interesting in that Philadelphia team if you brought Deshaun Watson there. It would definitely have the fan base, I want to say excited, but I'm not sure it's Philadelphia fans. Although I think, I think if there is a fan base that, Deshaun Watson could go to even with all the drama, and if he won, they would love him. It would be Philadelphia. Yeah, I could see that being one hundred percent the case. I mean, they they embraced Michael Vick after after his uh, issues. Uh, they've embraced other athletes that uh, have been a little bit, uh, I guess, questionable in their off the field activities. Uh, but they're also the fans that threw snowballs at Santa Claus and batteries at JD Drew. Uh, so you, you, you never know. I mean, it, like you said, it's it's Philadelphia. Who knows what the hell kind of reaction they're going to get whenever you go there. But it, it does. It does make the entire landscape of the NFC East shift if you bring in a guy like Deshaun Watson. But if that's the case, who's he going to throw to? I mean, he would be going to almost the same situation that he has in Houston where there's there's not much offensively that is attractive about the Eagles in my mind. No, you know, he would definitely, you know, his receiver core wouldn't be great, but it would be a fresh start. And then you build towards next year, you know, and, you know, I think it's, it's as much, you know, he just wants out of Texas for the way they've mishandled things there as anything else, you know? So I think, I think just getting to a fresh start and, you know, I mean, let's be honest, the Eagles could trade for him and then he'd not be able to play this year too. So you gotta look at it that way. You would have his rights, whatever he is able to play, you know, it's going to be really weird the way the court system works. I mean, this thing with Deshaun could drag out. You know, I've seen things that have said that, you know, it may not be resolved until 2023 or 2024. So, you know, there's going to be a – there's definitely going to be a cloud hanging over his head for the next couple of years, whatever happens. Yeah, it looks like uh, depositions for the women won't be uh, uh, started until September. He'll probably not be disposed until February. Um, it's, a, it's a very interesting – 
case for sure. And it came out today that, you know, Rusty Harden, his, his lawyer was like, look, if we settle with any of these women, we're going to settle it with no restrictions on confidentiality or anything like that. So if we do settle, the stories from both sides will come out and that's the only way we're going to do it. So the way it's being presented, it almost feels like they really do believe that he's done nothing wrong. And hopefully by saying this and coming out with this kind of comment that it's going to push these stories and these women back from really making, you know, from completing these complaints and really getting to the the, the court stage of, of all this. But it's also going to be really telling if they don't. And if they don't and they continue to push forward with this, it will start to make you question even more what exactly happened. And it does put another cloud over Deshaun Watson. And that may make a, a team decide, hey, look, talented probably going to have him this year but do we really want all of that hanging over our organization you, you've seen what happened in washington with the, the the front office and upper management all, all the stuff that was going down with with their sexual harassment cases and all that i think at this point in time teams are really looking at that and going we really don't want to have that as part of our organization going forward, regardless of if they've done anything in the past. Because I'm sure every organization has had some sort of sexual harassment issue that we have not heard about. And nowadays, now that the stuff of Washington's come out, they, they don't want anything else, especially something that's already out there coming into their organization. No, you're right. And, you know, the bad thing for Deshaun Watson, and again, you know, we have no idea what really happened in Hopefully at some point we'll we'll find out more details and the truth will really come out. But whether he's found guilty, whether he settles, whether you know these claims go away, no matter what, there's going to be a huge percentage of the population that from now on, now to the end of his life, is going to have made up their mind that Deshaun Watson's a scumbag and you know a sexual predator and all kinds of stuff. And that's something that he's going to have to live with, whether he's guilty or not. And you know. Again, like I said, we have no idea, but everything we've heard up till up till now was that Deshaun Watson was such an upstanding guy. So it's going to be really interesting, and you know that cloud's going to follow him no matter how this all ends up. Very, very true. And uh, before we get out of here, let's talk a little bit about the NHL because free agency is coming up here on Wednesday. Uh, the Blues hopefully will be active in the in the market, but we'll see because they still have the Vladimir Tarasenko contract on the books and. That hasn't had any news in, in the last couple of days. And uh, I, I think you look at that and you go, man, the, the, the less news there is, the more likely he's coming back. And you talk about a bad locker room in Green Bay. Who's to say that's not going to be the same situation here in St. Louis? But a couple of things that did go down today. It looks like uh, the Blues did tender qualifying offers to six players. Uh, Ivan Barbashev, no surprise. Pavel Buchnevich. No surprise, just brought him in from the Rangers. Uh, Dakota, Dakota Joshua had a good, strong showing last year. Uh, Jordan Cairo, another obvious one. Uh, Robert Thomas, obvious as well there. And Zach Sanford. And, and that's the one that's got a lot of fans up in a tizzy, is, is bringing back a guy like Zach Sanford. And, you know, you look at this and you go, man, it's Sanford, Sanford, Sanford. And every time we hear the name Sanford, we go, ugh. But you got to remember, he was a stud in the finals against Boston. He was pretty pretty good. He, he, he led a, a lot of the goals that the Blues score were, were based off of plays by Sanford. He, he was playing in the top six, which he probably doesn't need to be in the top six. And he's a guy with a big body that just hasn't used it yet. And, and Blues fan reacts, sad face on there. And, and he's brought up many times that 
he reminds him of Patrick Berglund. And Patrick Berglund was another guy that had size, but just seemed soft and didn't really know how to use that at the NHL level. And Zach Samper is probably in that same mold. But you have to remember, this team is still dealing with cap issues. So if you can get a cost control forward that can play in your bottom six and, and give you 15 to 18 goals, I think it might be worth the headache of him making a few defensive miscues to at least have him here. And that's just, that's just where I see it. I I think Sanford has a spot on this team next year, regardless of what fans think. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I was going to ask you what you thought about this because I saw a report today that, you know, you talked about them tendering those offers today to guys. I saw one report that if they don't move Vladdy, they're basically at the salary cap right now, and they have no money to do anything else in the offseason. Um, like, there, there's just nothing they can do if they don't move Tarasenko. They have no money. If, if that ends up being the case, if they can't move Vladdy and this is the team you go into next year with, do you feel very good about them being able to make much of a playoff run, honestly? It's it's tough. Um, I mean, right now they've got, what, three, six, seven players, seven forwards under contract. Uh, you're you're going to re-sign Barbashev, Bucinevich, Sanford probably, Cairo, and Thomas. Uh, you're at, uh, what is it, 60? You've got uh, $18.8 million in cap space right now before you sign those guys. And that is with the Tarasenko contract on the books. Uh, so, you know, if if Sanford gets a million and a half, uh, you know, they're working on a long-term deal with Bucinevich. So you're probably going to have a, a higher salary than than two million or, or what have you. Barbashev's do a raise. Cairo and Thomas, you have to determine if you're going to lock them up long-term. So, you know, it's not that they're going to be right up against the cap, but there's not a whole lot of room. You're not going to be able to go off and, and – Get a guy like Gabriel Landeskog. That's just not going to happen. You have to move a guy like Tarasenko if you're going to get Landeskog. Uh, th- that doesn't mean that they can't go out there and sign Landeskog and then move Tarasenko. It's not – you don't have to move Tarasenko to get Landeskog, right. but you have to move Tarasenko before the beginning of the season if you want – if the plan is to sign him. So, um, yeah, it's going to be – the next couple days are going to be very interesting. So, The Blues almost have to move Vladdy before free agency opens on Wednesday for, I think, fans to feel comfortable about what free agency is going to bring. Because if Tarasenko is still on this team when it opens up, I don't know if they can realistically sit there and make an offer to to a Landeskog or or somebody else that is going to command a high price because – the given is that he's going to be on this team. And we saw it last year with Petrangelo. You know, they moved Jake Allen to free up cap space. It didn't work out that they brought in, they brought Petrangelo back, but it almost felt like you had to move one of those guys to bring a guy like Petrangelo back. And it's the same situation this year. If you're going to go after a big name like Alandis Gog, you got to move Vlad before the season, before the free agency period opens up. Yeah. You know, and like I said, the report that I saw basically with that $18 million, because they were saying that, you know, that Cairo and Thomas are both going to get three to $4 million. I mean, they basically broke down how much money each guy was going to make. And it basically, I think they had like $500,000 left of that $18 million by the time they had it figured out. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're not, you're not, you're not getting anybody for that. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, like you said, so if you have $18.8 million, and let's just say, let's just say that. You know, you give four million to Thomas, you give four million to Cairo. 
let's say you give a million and a half to Sanford. Uh, Barbashev, let's say he goes up to three mil, and 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 then you sign Buchnevich to a long-term deal at at probably four point five. So that leaves that's you, got, that that's you got a seventeen. That's got you a little over seventeen million right there. Yeah, that gives you about a million to play with. So you're not you're not going out there to sign anybody. You're not re-signing a Tyler Bozak. You're not re-signing a Jaden Schwartz, and you're not re-signing Mike Coffin, who is looking for five million plus. I, I don't think he's coming back, regardless of if Vladimir Tarasenko is with this right. team or not. Uh, and it looks like Jaden Schwartz will probably end up in in Seattle. Uh, he's going to wait until free agency opens up to see if anybody offers him anything more. But he did have some negotiations with Seattle before the expansion draft. All indications are he'll probably end up in Seattle. So we'll see how that plays out. And then uh, one guy that the Blues fans were hoping the Blues would target, Alec Martinez, uh, is close to re-signing with Vegas at three years, $5 million. They are going to have to move some people out because they did have some salary cap issues last year. Had to sit guys near the end of the season. So we'll see how that affects the trade market and free agency as well. Cause just like in baseball, if a guy that you thought wasn't going to get traded now gets traded to fill a hole somewhere else, that means a guy that free agency that was going to go there can move somewhere else as well. So uh, that, that deal with Vegas opens up a, a couple of opportunities as well. So we'll see how that plays out uh, on, on Wednesday when free agency opens up. So uh, Scott, man, another great show. A lot of stuff that we uh, were able to talk about Jim Sterk re- resigning at uh, Mizzou going to be replaced very, very soon, probably by a new AD uh, trade deadline coming up in, in a couple of days, free agency opening up in the NHL and the Aaron Rodgers saga. You got anything else before we head out tonight? I think that's pretty much it. Just one last thing before we tie everything up with the blues. How disappointed will blues fans be if a week ago you're talking about maybe Matthew can chuck or Sog, And then when it comes down, you don't get either one of those guys and Tarasenko is still here. Uh, I think people will be really upset. I really do. And and the Kachuk thing still has a sliver of hope because Calgary is interested in guys like a Vladimir Tarasenko. And at the time before the expansion draft, you were thinking maybe a Tarasenko Vince Dunn package might be able to go up there and, and be the start of a trade for Matthew Kachuk. You have a couple of guys that are Vince Dunn clones in the Blues organization right now. So that deal still may be something that's cooking. It may be on the back burner right now, but we've seen Doug Armstrong pull off miracles before. Um, I would not be shocked if we wake up in two weeks and Matthew Kachuk is a St. Louis Blue. I'd like to see it. I think it's more likely after next offseason, but uh, yeah, we can hope. That's all you can do. Hope, hope, hope. <laughs> and that's the same thing that we're trying to do with the Cardinals uh, playoff chances is hope, hope, hope. Uh, that That's what it is. Uh, thank you guys for joining us tonight here on the Toasted Tavern. I want to thank Tom Ackerman for joining us earlier today. You saw a clip of that interview as well. We're going to replay that interview tomorrow night for tomorrow night's Toasted Tavern episode because it's Tuesday night and I'll be at hockey. So uh, you'll get a chance to catch the Tom Ackerman interview tomorrow night at 9 o'clock. Uh, otherwise, you can catch it anywhere you find your podcast as well because we got it up there uh, on our podcast page with Toasted St. Louis. Uh, make sure you catch out Toasted Blues on Saturday on Sunday uh, evenings as well. We've got plenty of stuff to talk about there. And uh, Scott and I will be back on Wednesday night to talk about all the sports action here in the Midwest. Uh, and we'll talk some NHL free agency as well. So for Scott Tobin, I am Wags. Thank you guys for joining us and have a great rest of your night. Hey, it's you, man, here from Casey. For all your sports news, catch the Toasted Tavern with Scott Tobin and the man called Wags weeknights at 9 p.m. You can follow Toasted Tavern on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Let's get toasted.